Okay, Shalom Ubracha Boch Hashem. We're continuing in the Kutei Moran, this amazing lesson. It's Mamash amazing. How do we know it's amazing? Lesson 24. Because when Rav Nosin invests a lot on the lesson, whether it's the Kutei Tfilot or the Kutei Alachot, you know that this is a, a very special lesson. It's a, big, it's a good address. Rav Nosin, on this, this, on this lesson, he has one of the biggest Likutei Alachot. Bikat Hoda'a is almost 90 paragraphs. 90, 90, 90 sections, okay? And wow. he goes in and in, and he, we're going to hopefully see what Rav Nosin brings out. But this lesson, and anything connected to Simcha, you'll see Rav Nosin worked on. He says clearly, Rav Nosin, in uh, his book, his biography, his autobiography, Yemei Moranat, he says, by him, any opportunity to be happy is something very big, because the Rebbe told me that my thing is to work on Simcha. You hear this? Unbelievable. He said that the Rabbi Nachman warned Rav Nosen, you, you have to work on the Midah of being the Simcha. That should be your, your work. So he said whenever there's an opportunity that all spontaneously there was Simcha and dancing, he said it was very, very precious in his eyes. It was like a, an, op- an opportunity for Shemaim for something big, and big things happened always after that. That's why it seems Rav Nosen is investing a lot in this Torah, Likutei Moran on the power of Simcha, how every Jew needs to work on it. Every Jew needs Simcha in their life. As we see, we see everyone is, uh, everyone's lacking Simcha. It's pretty obvious the way people are walking around Tisha B'Av, people are lacking Simcha. So he invested a lot in this. We're going to start with one point, a very important chizuk, okay? Things are not as bad as you think they are. It's a big rule. When you, when you think, when you feel and, and, and see that things are going bad, remember one thing, they're not as bad as you think or portray them to be. Because the Koach the distorted imagination, the Etzara, he takes something small and he magnifies it by a million, by a thousand. He makes it worse and worse and worse. The thing is to remember that, to remember that my enemy is now using the situation to make me broken and to make me feel bad. But it's not as bad as you think, okay? That's just another a nice example. Rav Nosen's son, Rav Yitzchak, he lived in Tulchin. He lived with tremendous hostility. And that at the time, we're talking about the 1830s, there were a lot of misnagdim, a lot of opponents to Breslev living in Tulchin. And Rav Nosen, Rav Yitzchak, being Rav Nosen's son, suffered a lot. He even suffered from his wife. He was married twice, okay? His first wife, he divorced not because of she was in opposition, but because she was acting immature. She, she wasn't acting like a, a wife. She didn't want to be a wife. She wanted to be a wife, a mother, so... And they were 14 years old and they got, they got married, so they got divorced like a year later, whatever, two years. But his second wife was really giving her a hard time to the extent that Rav Nosen said, if my son, Yitzhak, wasn't divorced already once, I would have told him to divorce again. <laughs> this woman also, <laughs> because... She gave him a super duper hard time, but in the end, he held on, and in the end, she became supportive. It took many years, but in the, in the end, they came to Eretz Yisrael, they passed away in Eretz Yisrael, they lived in Eretz Yisrael. So, um, so in the end, she, it worked out. But this Rav Yitzchak had a lot of problems, okay? So now, his defense was, when like, he would go to travel to be by his father, the Misnagdim couldn't stop him, because he would say, it's Kibudorim. You want to uproot Hasidut, Breslov, I understand. But you can't uproot the Torah law. Kibudorim, I'm going to visit my father because of Kibudorim. So you can't stop that. So they couldn't say anything. But when Rosh Hashanah that year came around, it was 1834, 1835, and there's no Kibudorim here. You're going to Uman Rosh Hashanah to be by Rabbi Nachman, not to be by your father of Nasser. So he told his father, what am I going to do? He said, listen, my son, there's tests in line. A person has to face the tests. So he, he took that seriously, and he traveled. He went to Uman for Shoshana. His job was, he worked in the post office, which was also the, the local bank. At the time, the bank and the post office were together. His job, he was working there, he had a good position. His boss was a, a, a Yid, of course, a Jew. And uh, that was his job. And he thought for sure that if we go to Uman Shoshana, the Misnagdim, the first thing they would do 
with the slander on him and to get him to, take, uh, to, to, to lose his job. Because they had influence on his boss. His boss wasn't a breast liver, but he, had, he was influenced by these people who were misnagdim, who were very wealthy and influential. Okay? So Rav Nossin thought for sure he's, he's going to go to Uman Rosh Hashanah and he's going to come back, there's no job. So he came to, uh, to, uh, came to Uman and he, and he told uh, his father, what am I going to do? He says, at home, your wife is going to threaten you. She's going to try to hit you, even. You pick up a stick as if like you're going to hit her, and then she'll back down. That's exactly what happened. He came back, his wife started cursing him, and then she raised her, her fist to try to hit him. He just picked up a stick, not to do anything. His father picked up the stick, and she backed down. And he said about your parnasa, Hashem Yazor. So Nosen came back to Tolchin after Rosh Hashanah. And he felt like he had nothing to do in life. He had no job. He thought 98%, sorry, 100% he lost his job. Because the Misnagdim slandered on him. They knew he went to Uban Rosh Hashanah. So he assumed that he lost his job. So he's walking on the streets in, in uh, I think, or he stayed behind until Yom Kippur. So, or after Yom Kippur, or before Yom Kippur, he came back to Tolchim. And he's walking on the street. And lo and behold, he bumps into his boss. Okay? He bumps into his boss. And his boss says to him, Where are you? You know, I've been waiting for you. It's already past Rosh Hashanah many days. He said, What are you talking about? I thought for sure I lost my job. You know, I went to Oman Rosh Hashanah, as you know. I thought, he says, Come back to work. Everything the same as it was. Nothing happened. Okay? He was like flipping out. But one of the points that come out of this story is that the imagination makes you feel much worse than what it really is. It's always like that, by most people at least, most normal people, normal people, right? Is that when something bad happens, it just says, ah, you're finished, oh, you're down. He makes it multiplied much more. And it's the exact opposite. You see, there's a rule. Mida tova meruba, right? What is mida tova? Always the good has the upper hand. And mida ra'a, the opposite also. Hen love. Love him. If mida tova meruba, that the good always has the upper hand, right? Then you know it's much more bigger than the good is much more greater than you think. So too the opposite, the bad is much smaller, more cleaner than you think. Also, it's more smaller. So never be panicked. Never start fret, fretting and plotting from the etzara, because his job is to exaggerate and to expand things from what they really are. There was a breast liver, the previous generation, Rabbi Ochaim Rosen. He's the one who built the breast of Shul in Me'asharim. He was one of the people who were responsible of bringing breast lift to Eretz Yisrael after the war, after the pogroms and the war and everything. He, with other elders, were responsible for, for reviving breast lift because breast lift was like dead. It was, like, it was barely on the map during, uh, you know, before and after World War II. They were like barely breast livers around just trying to survive to be alive from the Holocaust and whatever. One or two or three and that's it, right? Nothing was moving. It was basically dead. He had a special ability, this Rabbi Elchaim Rosen, that he was an address for people who were brokenhearted. People who were brokenhearted, they can always come to him. He was such an amazing person. I didn't know him, but just from what we hear about him, what we're told about him, his house was always open, any time of the day, any time of the night. You know, if people needed him, his whole life was chesed. Amazing. You know, people like that are just unbelievable. So anybody would come to him with a, with a broken heart, and they would pour out everything they're going through, and him, with his sharpness, would analyze clearly, cut off all the excess of the problem, until the problem was only something tiny. And he said, look, all the things you told me, this is excess, this is excess, everything is, is motarot, is excesses. The problem now is tiny now, and of this you can deal now. All the things added to it by the imagination were driving you nuts, were making you down and heavy and, you know, depressed and futile and just feeling miserable and garbage, all because of the excess. But now when you look at the point itself, it can be dealt with now. We can work on it now. This is something very important. This is the Yetzara. He works to make people feel bad about something that's not really there. doesn't even exist. It's just the imagination that adds to it. Because of this, one has to work excess in the Midat HaSimcha, because the Simcha is what kills the Yetzirah. 
we're going to see in this lesson the Kutimar how the antidote for everything. Rav Nosson says something so powerful, you know, when you think about it, it's unbelievable. You want to come out of what you're stuck in in life, all the physical difficulties, all the food, everything, all the setbacks. Work on Simcha, because the Simcha will be the key for you to have clarity of what actually is happening and not the distorted picture due to the Yetzirah who's adding all these things, okay? And then once you see clarity, you have the strength to do it. You know, that person, but what was wrong? You could have done it. Yeah, but I felt like this and this and that. And all types of excess excuses because of the excesses that were driving him nuts. And then the person didn't do it. But you can do it. You can. What's the problem with something tiny? Because that person has to work on being besimcha. Avnosim gives another advice we didn't even touch upon. He says the main way to be besimcha is by taking it from the future. Borrowing it. Once someone told Avnosim, I can't be happy. I'm trying to be happy. I'm just going through such difficulties and everything. So Avnosim says you borrow the simcha from the future. And Avnosim doesn't play games. In the Kutei Alachot, he invests a lot on this point to teach people that your main simcha should come from the future redemption. That in the future, at the end, everything's going to work out. We know that already. We know that we're in Galut, we're in Galut, we're in Galut, yeah? But in the end, we're going to have the last laugh. We're going to have the last smile, the last shmeichel, and the last laugh. Yet will be totally destroyed, Bezat Hashem. So with that in mind, proof of that, that, gonna happen, that, that that's going to happen is that we're still around. Am Yisrael is the oldest nation in the world. We've gone through so much pogroms and persecution and galut, and we're still in galut, and people going through what they're going through personally, emotionally, mentally, okay? OTD, off the derech, people, this, that, all these crazy things, and okay? Crazy divorces, crazy stories, everything. And yet, Am Yisrael is still holding on. There's still Schottenstein, Art Scroll, Gemaras, there are people still davening, there's still shuls, there's still bait midrashes, there's still a gishmak feeling in Yiddishkeit, it didn't disappear. There's still Meron like Baomer, there's still Uman Rosh Hashanah, there's the Kotel now. We have access to the Kotel since 1967, whatever. There's the Beis HaMikdash, you know, where the place of Harabait. There's amazing things in the world, and, and as a Yid. There's amazing things in Yiddishkeit, okay? So we have what to be happy about. We can work on it. And he says, Rav Nosen, when you can't, you're stuck. You borrow from the future. The, in other words, the proof of the future redemption is that they were still holding on. I mean, at, I don't want, I'm really not so happy quoting, but we'll quote Napoleon. Napoleon once came, it's a known story, he came into a shul on Tisha B'Av, and he saw the Jews sitting on the ground and mourning with the lights off, you know, the no candles and everything. So Napoleon asked, what, what, what is this? So this is the day of the year that the Jews mourn the destruction of the temple. So he said, Napoleon, the fact that the Jewish people are still mourning over the temple, that itself is the biggest proof that it's going to be rebuilt. <laughs> Napoleon said that, okay? Napoleon said that. that, that after over 2,000 years, just almost 2,000 years, and they're still mourning over it, and it's still part of their life, for sure it's going to be rebuilt. That's our, that's our biggest Salvation, that there's going to be geula. What, you, you doubt that there's going to be a geula? After everything you're doing to be a yid, all the investments you do to invest, to get married, to have children, to raise them according to the Torah, to do mitzvah, to go out of your way, to buy kosher food. I remember I met, I met a couple in Florida, and the woman, her hardest thing was poverty and difficulty spending extra money to buy kosher food because they were balchuvas. Non-kosher food, super cheap, super cheap. Kosher food, twice the price, three times the price, and it was difficult for her. It was so easy to buy non-kosher food, because it's cheaper, it's like a third or a fourth the price, especially in America, things are dirt cheap, and the kosher food is much more expensive, okay? And it was like hard for her, but she made, she made the effort, it was hard, it was really a killer, but she went out of her way. What I'm trying to say is we do so much effort to be Jewish, to follow the Torah, and to follow Hashem. So for sure we believe that there's gonna be a good end. There's going to be a good end. When, where, how, when, we don't know. But it's going to come. Mordechai knew there was going to be a Yeshua. Mordechai knew. He just didn't know how. He didn't know how, where, when, what. He knew that was going to happen. But he had no idea how. So to us, because of what we're going through, that's the biggest proof that there's going to be a big major bang. There's going to be a major Geula, which means major Simcha. 
From that Simcha, Rav Nosson says, you can live now. It's an amazing psychology that Rav Nosson goes into. That, that a person can you train his brain to connect to the future joy and with that joy live in the present. Not like these people who are like hippies and on drugs and flying, that even in the present they're not there, they're flying. To be in the present with your feet on the ground doing whatever, but your heart and mind are connected to the simcha of the future. So whatever happens to you, because you're always looking at the ultimate pur- pur- purpose, you take everything easily. There are, you, we, we bump into people like that. There are people like that that you know, that when something bad happens, they say, ah, Gamzul Tova. Like, they're not broken. Like, you're, you're, you're upset. You're torn. It hurt you. They may barely made a dent in their wall. They may have a dent in them. That, in that they're, they're so happy and positive. It's okay. Hashem will say, automatically Hashem pops up with Emunah. But not just saying, okay, Hashem did it, you know. But they're happy about it. Because these people have their mindset on the future and they're able to bring it in the present. Rav Nosson says this is such a chizuk to being b'simcha and it's a major advice and it's the key to helping a person to be b'simcha now and if a person is b'simcha now this is his key for succeeding in his challenges in life, simcha. More than anything else, the simcha in what you're doing. If you're not happy with what you're doing, if it's hard, it's, it's not easy. You have to be very b'simcha in what you're doing because if not, you just, you'll drop it. When things get hard, the first thing you drop are the things that are difficult. If Yiddishkeit is a burden and there's no simcha, a person has a hard time getting out of bed and it's a burden and he's drained in every morning. So one of the first things he'll drop eventually is the davening in the morning. What's needed is to feel happy about it. Psh, I get to put on tefillin. Do you know what tefillin are? I get to put on tzitzis every day. I get to say kriyat shema, Do you know what that is? And you're, you feel heavy. But even heavy... You know what a schut is? Any convert, any non-Jew wants to be Jewish, they will plutz just to have the merit to say Shema Yisrael, just to say the words of, of Hebrew, just to start like Rabbeinu says in the Kutemran, when a ger finally learns the Hebrew alphabet, he's the happiest person in the world. You, you, you know alphabet from, from age one, from, 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 uh, from uh, diapers, you know how to say Aleph, Beis, Gimel, Dalit, right? And these guys, when they finally learn the alphabet, they're flipping out, okay? Meaning, your Judaism, even if it's dead, is one of the greatest things in the world compared to all of Olam Hazeh. The lowest davening, the most dead davening, is still greater than the greatest gashmit of this world. You hear this? The lowest ruchmit you have is still higher than the greatest gashmit of this world. Okay, clear? The lowest ruchmit, you're davening, you're davening, you don't even know if your davening is davening. But we're like, we, we said this many times, your davening is davening because halacha requires you to daven. You can't say, well, I can't concentrate, so I'm not going to daven. No. Halakha says, if you can't concentrate, you still have to daven. Shacharit and everything. But why? Because it counts. And not only does it count, but it's bigger even than the rest of this world. It's greater than the greatest mansions and accomplishments and a concert with 10,000, 20,000 people in Wembley Stadium in, in England. I don't know. People, you know, the person has, has, uh, has what's it called? You know, um, what's it called again? His, his hair standing up. He has a, uh, what's the word? Goosebumps. What? Goosebumps. Because of the feeling of something in this world, the lowest ruchniyut is greater than even that. The greatest feeling, wow, and everything, an accomplishment. Someone in Star Search, you know, whatever, they're, they they they, they comp- a competition and they have a beautiful voice and they're singing and they win in Hollywood in Star Search and the feeling is amazing. You start crying for the person, you're so happy for them, right? The the lowest ruchniyut is still greater than that. Okay, that's that's the that's the perspective here. With all that said, we're gonna go back in to uh, this, this halacha here. But just to touch a little on the parsha, it's a bit, it's a bit hard to do the parsha because in Chutzlaretz, they're not Korach here. We're Korach. Next week, they're Korach. But just one little insight on Korach. What was the main cause for Korach to do what he did? Who was the main incentive, the main push for Korach? His wife. Right? You remember the Gemara, the Midrash? It's a Midrash that says when the Levim were completely shaved, you remember? had to be shaven. When the Levim were inaugurated, and Aaron did the, what's it called? He did the, the waving, the tnufa with the Levim, they had to be completely shaven, like a mitzorah. So Korach was a big person. He was wealthy, a big macher. He's also a Talmud Chacham. Uh, Rav Nosen in Shemot HaTzadikim puts Korach in square brackets. Can you believe that? In the book Shemot HaTzadikim, the names of Tzadikim, Rav Nosen puts Korach in square brackets. 
Rav Nosson's edition of Shemot HaTzadikim has Korach there, but it's square brackets, okay? He was somebody big. And when he came home shaven, his wife began to mock him and insult him and make fun of him. Aaron is, Aaron is making fun of you. You're Korach. You're, some, you're a big shot. You're somebody big. And then they're, they're treating you like dirt and everything. The atzvut, the, the panic, the worry, and the sadness that Korach had because of his wife's sharp words, that's what the Gemara says, as much as Korach is punished, his wife is being punished even more. Because she pushed him. She, 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 on Ben Pellet, who saved him? His wife saved him. Remember this, this is the story in the, the Midrash? Datan uh, Aviram, their wives obviously didn't save them. <laughs> they were with them. Korach's wife was with him. On Ben Pellet, we start the parasha of On Ben Pellet as being a part of the Machloket. And then he's not mentioned at all anymore. Why? Because the Midrash says that she saw that this is bad stuff. You don't start up with Moshe Rabbeinu. Oiva is somebody who starts up with Moshe Rabbeinu. Even if you have proofs and everything, what are you doing? Are you crazy? Are you normal? You don't start up with Moshe Rabbeinu. No way. What in the hell? She had the dot to recognize that. So she did things with him. She made him drink. So he got, he was drunk and he went to sleep. And then she uncovered her hair at the entrance. So when the rabbi Sanhedrin of, of Korach's group came to try to pick him up, they see a woman there with her hair fixing her hair. They say, oh, we can't come in. And the time was right pressure, time pressing and he was still sleeping. So they left. And that's how she saved her husband from being destroyed and killed with the, okay? Fine, that's on Ben Pellet. But Korach, it was the bad advice of his wife that got him down. But the, bad, but the thing is, the bad advice, she like pressed him. There's something very big in Shalom Bayit things. You have to know how to react when the wife talks. The person, when a man hears his wife, he has to be able to what's called separate what he's seeing and what he feels. Because if you mix in your feeling in what you see, what will come out from you will be from the feeling, which is wrong. What's needed is what the fact, what's actually being said or told or happening. And then what I feel afterwards, I put on the side. I just now, like, you know, like a, a police report. Let's see what actually what happened here. Let's see the, what's the shetach. Boniv doket shetach. How say it in English? Let's check the... Facts. The what? The facts. Yeah, but there's a good word in English. They say in shetach. Let's check the, the, the surrounding, the area. There's a good word scene. in English. The what? The scene. That's the word. Thank you. The scene. They check out the scenery, what actually happened. They build the facts. And then there's the assumptions in the court. That the lawyers say he meant like this, he meant like that. Okay? So too... When I'm told something, what are they saying? Okay, now let's see the facts. Now, is it true? Let's match it with the actual, what my feelings involved. Can I match what Aaron did wasn't for that reason? She's saying, he's pointing you down, look at you and everything. So his feelings got opened up. What, what's needed is to separate that, to make the separation of the regesh and not the words, okay? So he didn't do that. He let his feelings attack him. The da'aga, the worry from the words she was saying, brought him to atzvut. And the atzvut, the sadness, you know, I, I can't stand like this, forget it, went him to fight, to do something crazy. You know? Rav Lachem, like Rav Moshe Rabbeinu says in the parsha, you are asking for too much. Whoa, this is bad. Moshe Rabbeinu hinted them, if you do this, no one's going to come out alive. Only one person will survive, and that's the one that Hashem chose, right? So what did he test them with? Ktorit. What's Ktorit? Ktorit is our key in our lesson, lesson 24. Ktorit is the barometer measure to bring true simcha and to subdue at the same time the klipot. The power of the Ktorit is two things. It's twofold. It elevates the good. It brings out the simcha that's trapped. And it subdues the evil. So why did Moshe Rabbeinu pick the Ktorit? Besides the pshat, that samamavet natunbo, it has, has a potion of death inside of it, right? That's what that's what Zabur Shemini told him. It, it will kill who has Nadav Navi who died by offering it, okay? And eventually after the story of Korach next week's parasha is that the Magifah took place and, and Aharon had to stand in between those who are the Chaim Ba'amnetim, okay? Parsha, sorry, this week's parasha? Korach. Yeah, Korach, right. And then afterwards is Balak, okay? So the Ktoret was purposely used by Moshe Rabbeinu because someone who wants to be besimcha, but is trapped, that will bring him out. And someone who's bothered by the simcha and, and, and wants atzvut, because he can't stand the truth, and that doesn't bring him simcha, he'll fall because of it.
That's exactly what happened here. The Ktorit brought down Korach and all the Sanhedrin. What happened to the Sanhedrin? What does Rashi say, quoting the Gemara? All night long, Korach was talking to them, convincing them, you know, even beforehand, convincing them, you look at this, this one, he's king, this one, his brothers, the Kohen Gadol, you know, they take all the honor for themselves. What, they're better than us? We all heard the Ten Commandments in Har Sinai. We all heard, Anochi Hashem Elokecha and Lo Lecha, the first two of the Ten Commandments directly from the word of Hashem. Right, like Rashi says. We all heard the Ten Commandments, the beginning of the Ten Commandments. Kulam Kedoshim. We all heard the Torah, Rashi says in Har Sinai. What do you, what are you better than us? Okay? That feeling of anger due to worry and sadness because they feel lacking. Korach made them feeling lacking. Nachon, you guys are Sanhedrin, Rashi Sanhedrin from the tribe of Reuven and Shimon. Nachon, you guys are big shots and everything. But you could have more. And these guys took everything for themselves. He put them in a, a, frame, a, a, a frame of mind that there's much more that's coming of them, that's worth coming towards them. And it's, it's not happening because Moshe and Aaron took all the honor for themselves. He convinced them to fall into Atzvut. Okay? Atzvut as a result of Da'agot. So Moshe Rabbeinu says we're going to use the Ktoret. The Ktoret, which is the key for releasing true simcha that's trapped and for subduing the evil as a result, that will be the key. That's why Moshe used the Ktoret. And the Ktoret did the job. Aharon, who was the best, best example of somebody who had unconditional love to others. Because like we know, Moshe thought automatically, Hashem, you're choosing me to be the prophet to take the Jews out of Egypt. What's my brother going to say? My brother's older than me, Aaron. He's already a Navi before me from Egypt. Hashem says, you don't know Aaron. He's going to see you and he's going to be happy. The opposite of normal human nature. He worked on himself, Aaron. He earns the title to be Aaron a Kohen because he doesn't take it as a personal dent. He had no bad feelings at all when Moshe Rabbeinu reached a higher level of, of being a prophet and a leader over him, even though he was already a leader. And because of the Aharon merited, we're gonna see coming up, Aharon is coming up, so that's why I'm mentioning this, that he merited to have the Choshen on his, on his heart. Because his heart was so good, he was so amiti, and he was happy for the success of another person. Like Rav Nosen, says about Rabbeinu told him you know uh, we're talking about this thing about when a person holds by this it's a big thing by what? that I'm very happy on the Hatzlacha of another person Rav Nosen says of course I'd be happy for the Hatzlacha of another person so he says no this is something deep that happens that when you see other people succeeding and at the same time you are going downhill so the normal tendency of the person is because you feel bad about what you're going through and you see the success of other people, you begin to feel envious and jealousy. You know, he's going up and I'm going down. It's like I'm staying here. If I'm staying, I can be happy. But I'm going through so many challenges in life. Aaron didn't have challenges. Aaron was also a human being. <laughs> Aaron Cohen was a person who was born and eats and has to have Parnassah and everything. He also had challenges. And he's seeing the Jews being slaved in Egypt, you know, he sees the negativity, so things are not so positive, he sees his prophecy is not bringing enough comfort to Amisrael because they're in bondage, okay so he yet with all the negativity he was surrounded by he was able to be so happy for Moshe Rabbeinu's success so going back <laughs> sorry, one second he was able to be so happy with his success that he, Mamash, merited to have the, the, choshen, the, the Choshen on his heart. And this is what Moshe told Korach, the one that is chosen by Hashem. This is why Aaron was chosen. Because he had a good heart and he had true simcha. He wasn't envious and jealous about the success of other people. That's why he was chosen. That's why he was good. That's why the Ketoret was able to lift up Aaron in this test and bring down Korach and all of them. They were all burnt. Well, Korach, I think, was the, the Korach Badatol. He went, he swallowed up Korach. It's still not clear to me. Was Korach swallowed up or was he burnt? Oh, or both? Was he burnt? And he was swallowed up. The, the Sanhedrin who were with him, they were burnt. 
But uh, that's fine. Yeah, Korach offered Ketorah and he was not burnt. I think it says that. All of them. That's why. I think it was says that. Like they, they went down while they were alive. alive. Yes, yeah, it does. But now, how come it also says though, those who offered the ketoret were burnt? The whole Right? Their, their bodies were burnt and the machtot were left. That goes on the. the, the, the it goes on the Sanhedrin who were with Korach and not Korach. Korach. I think everybody went to the ground and their ketoret got burnt. But it says clearly that they were burnt. Yeah, Rashi says that. Rashi says they were burnt. Some were burnt. Always, I have this dilemma. What happened to Korach? He was together with the guys who were burnt with their machtot. They were nisraf. Rashi says that they were burnt. Okay? But the ada of Korach outside of, outside of those Sanhedrin, those 250 Rashi Sanhedrin who came with Korach to offer the Ketoret, they were burnt. Korach was not burnt. His ada, that Korach outside, was not burnt. And the, the earth became like a midron, right? Like Rashi said, like a funnel until everyone went to the mouth of the earth that was opened up and they all fell in alive, okay? Fine, so this is the Ketorot and this week's parasha. Just amazing how it fits in to what we're learning. It fits in amazing, the timing of the Ketorot and the parasha is just amazing. Okay, of all this, it's all a preparation for what we're going to get to now the next stage. It's so hard to advance because there's so much in everything he says, but we have to advance a little, but we'll go step by step, Is Hashem. So he says like this, we're holding in the Kutim Moran, Lesson 24, paragraph number 4, right? Just again to go over just one point because it's important. That Yaakov is saying to Lavan, Hashem blessed you because of me. Rabbeinu's proof here is Leragli. The bracha is coming because of the feet. When the feet are elevated, the feet being the arousal of the mitzvot due to doing the besimcha, which is the idea of the Torah also, releasing the mitzvah, which is shackled, chained in the tumah, in the klipot, releasing it, so its energy is released, it comes out, goes up, so it goes up levels. First level is it arouses, it causes arousal, that's the idea of the feet, the legs, and then the next stage is bracha, the hands. So this is Rabbeinu's proof. Yaakov is telling Lavan, Hashem gave you bracha leragli. On a deeper level, Lavan, Harasha, you are taking the bracha in the wrong way. Bracha, the Zohar says, is only chokhmah. Bracha is called chokhmah. Okay? It says, I'm, I'm trying to remember it off my heart, it's a Zohar that says, Baruch stands for four words. Bracha, Rosh, Umekor, Kol. Birkat Rosh, Birkat Rosh, Umekor kol baruch bet resh Remember this; it's going to come up again and again. Birkat rosh umekor kol. That bracha is the blessing of the intellect. Birkat rosh, which is chokhmah, the sechel, the blessing of the intellect, and is the source for everything else. Because, like the Gemara says in the Darim, im daat kanita machasarta. Right? Im daat chasarta makanita. If you have daat, you have everything. And if you lack that, then what do you have? All the houses and the gashmit and everything. So now, Yaakov is telling Lavan, you got bracha because of my legs. By me, because like we said, the Midrash says, wherever a tzaddik dorech kafra glav, wherever a tzaddik walks, he brings bracha to that environment. So once Yaakov came to the house, Beit Lavan, the house of Lavan, bracha came. The thing is, Lavan took the bracha for ulterior purposes, ulterior motives, for Gashmut. That's what, that's what Yaakov is rebuking him now. Hashem sent you bracha to my feet and the bracha should have been tshuva and ma'asim tovim, becoming a better person, but you Lavan are stuck in the Avodah Zarah that you're stuck in and you took the bracha to be what? Wealth, Bane, Chayim, Zone, he had a lot of things Lavan, okay? So what did Yaakov want now? He wanted back the energy of that bracha. So that's what the, the sheep that he requested is basically the holy sparks which are left by Lavan to come back to the side of Kedusha. That's why he's saying, Hashem blessed you, Leragli, it belongs to me. You didn't use it properly. You didn't transform the bracha into wanting the intellect to pursue to understand Hashem. You took it for having a nice house and having a limousine and having well, all the gashmir that you had, Lavan, Lavan's limousine. 
a white limousine, Lavan, <laughs> and a white limousine there with the nice white chauffeur man, you know, with white cap there. White, everything's white. Lavan, right? White house, we said, right? Okay? So Yaakov is saying, I want it back. But Rabbeinu is saying here, the bracha comes due to the feet. Okay, bracha comes, and it comes down. He's going to say, coming up, if you look in paragraph, uh, hey, it says like this, V'ikar bracha, the main bracha that comes down from the hands is intellect. And when the bracha comes down, you decipher and transform the bracha according to what you want. Like the verse says, You see? Hashem, you open your hands. And that brings down the bracha. Umasbiya brings sova lecholchai according to their ratzon, whatever they want. If they want a nice house and that's on their business and, and parnasa and na, 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 they'll get that. But that's not the real goal. The real goal is to have, you see, bechem, mishu bal nefesh. He goes on. Thus, someone who worries about their nefesh or is, is in tuned with their soul, tzarich lechaven ratzono. That person shouldn't be stupid and think for low things. He should draw the blessing of intellect. Okay? So he's saying, it comes down, each person according to what they want. That was Lavan. Lavan's a classic example. Lavan, Yaakov is telling him, you took the bracha that Hashem gave you, Hashem. so it's the bracha of Hashem, you took it for Gashmiut, but it's Liragli. It's due to my feet. Which means, Yaakov is saying, I have a say in that bracha. Because it came because of my feet, not because of your feet, I have to say that the bracha should come down the way I want it to. That's why he did this trick now, Yaakov. They say, I want to be paid now. I want all these type of sheep, these funny sheep and everything. And that way, he was able to extract the sparks that were trapped. And all this, Yaakov did besimcha. His whole thing of Yaakov is that he was a man who was also besimcha, okay? Nimtza, so therefore again, Shaolin haraglin bibchenat yadayim. The feet have an elevation to become now the concept of the hands. Bivchinat, and this is where we left off last week, right? This is the idea, and look at Rabbeinu's proof. He's connecting directly hand to feet. The hands of Bnei Israel went. Hands don't go. Hands don't walk. Right? Hands do. The hands of the Jewish people went. Meaning what? What, what, what is Rabbeinu trying to say here? What he's trying to prove here? That the, the, the feet are now holding at the level of the hands. But telech yad. The hands, the, the, the walking now is included in the hands of Israel. Haloch vekasha. They went strong and, and went for and further. So we have, we have a few things we mentioned last week. We'll just again stress in more, more details. Rabbeinu wants to express that when bracha is activated, when the hands are activated due to the legs, and again, the legs are activated because you did the mitzvah besimcha. So now your mitzvah has momentum, that's the legs, and now that's able to bring down bracha now. That, you know what a piñata is? Piñata, the Mexicans have a piñata, right? You begin, to, a piñata is when they have a Mexican birthday. Oh, they have this little donkey stuffed with, a uh, stuffed donkey stuffed with candies. And they have the child, you know, he hits with the stick until he makes a hole in it and all the candies come out, okay? So the bracha is the goal here, like the piñata. Now, now you reached with your hands, you're able now to wake up the soskiv yachol piñata donkey. I'm not talking about a donkey, you're talking about, you know, Hashem, buchniut. I'm just giving a havdun example, okay? The bracha now comes down, okay? That's great. So now, why is Rabbeinu bringing a pasuk? Okay, I see, Rabbeinu, what you're trying to say, but But why did you pick this pasuk? What does this pasuk talk about? We said, this pasuk is at the end of chapter 4 of Shofti. The whole chapter 4 and chapter 5 talks about this, this, the, the period of the judges at the time of Devorah and her husband Barak. At the time of Devorah the prophet, the Jewish people had a major downfall in their level of Ruchniut. In particular, their level of Shmerat Abrit. They went down in their sexual purity, went down a level. And it says that they stopped doing the mitzvah of Priya. When there was Brit Milaz, they didn't do Priya for whatever reason. I saw in one book somewhere, uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong, or if you heard something similar, <coughs> that they say that when you don't do Priya on a, on a human being, on a man, 
it enhances his sexual pleasure. You ever heard this before? That the, the leaving the foreskin, even though now they say it's not healthy, the secular world, they do, so they cut off the foreskin, they say because it causes infections or whatever, that's what they, talk, they taught us in school. But it enhances the, the, the pleasure for the man. So it could be chas sham, I don't know, but the, the Jews decided not to do the mitzvah of Priya in order that they can have more sexual enjoyment, chas sham. So the Zohar says this. The Zohar says the reason why they were attacked, the Jews, by Sisera, who was very strong, the Arizal says that he has the same soul root as Haman. He was the same, he proves uh, the Arizal showing in the name Sisera is hinted in Gematria or Shetevot, Haman. Haman is hinted in Sisera. It was such a dangerous time that Hashem said Sisera was like an earlier version of Haman to come to break, to break the Yidin. He came with a giant army and the Jews were plotting. It was really scary. It was really bad, okay? Okay? And his koach, Sisera, came from his king. His king was Yavin Melech Knan. Yavin Melech Knan was the king of Sisera. Yavin, the Arizal says, is Bina, which is something positive. Yavin. Yavin means to understand. But he was the king of Knaan, meaning what? Knaan means to suppress. Hachna'a that his goal was to suppress true Bina. Bina is Tlhavin, Laskilin, Modul Ahmed, understanding of the doubt of the Torah, that's Bina. So Yavin, Melech Knan, was the root for Sisera. He was the, was the king who gave orders to the general Sisera. Sisera was doing the bidding, the work for Yavin. What was Yavin on a spiritual level, Darizah says? He was the subduing of the Da'at. Because if there's no Bina, for sure the people will be in Galut. For sure the people will be sad and they'll be stuck and you're able to overcome them. So the, the, the tag team of Yavin, Melech, Knan and Sisera, which was like a type of Haman, they went to bring the Jews down because of their Pekam Abrit. Then why do they want to Pekam Abrit? Again, always, Rabbeinu says, Rav Nosan says this also. Why is there Pekam Abrit? Why, why is there sexual blemishes? Because people are sad. When a person is worried and sad and uptake, the normal tendency of a person is to do okay? because a person is, is upside down he's, he's not calm he's not, he's not happy with himself he's nervous, he's this, whatever he's feeling bad, negative that's why Pekambabrit is cause so Simcha is the healing for that so now the Yidin they fell into Pekambabrit Hashem sent them a big Makkah okay? so the salvation came about Dafka through two women Yael she cut off the head of Sisera. And Dvora, Hanaviyah, she led the army to wipe out you know, the rest of the army of Sisera, those who weren't killed, or they went to attack them. There was no need because the, the, the stars came down. Remember the story? The stars came down to fight them. But Dvora and Barak. Who's Barak, by the way? Barak has three names. The Midrash, Tanad says he has three names. He was called Lapidot, Barak, and Michael. He was called Lapidot. Why was he called Lapidot? Because the, 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 the Midrash says he was actually an Amaretz. Dvorah's husband was an Amaretz. He wasn't somebody special. She wanted to give her hand, husband standing. So she said to him, look, we know how to make, one Midrash says he, one Midrash says he. But it's together. We know how to make good wicks. Lapidot means like a flame. I'm gonna, I'll prepare, we'll prepare nice flames. And you bring them, donate, bring them to the Beit HaMikdash in Shiloh. The Mikdash at the time was in Shiloh. The time of the judges was before the Beit HaMikdash was built in Yerushalayim. It was still in Shiloh. The Mishkan in Shiloh. Bring them there, and that way you can bring light. Okay? So because he brought so much light, he brought good wicks, good candles, and there's no electricity back then, obviously, and it caused a lot of light in the, in the Mishkan, people began to appreciate him. His standing went up, thanks to his wife. His wife did this, she was smart. Dvor Neviyah knew that if he was able to bring light to the Mishkan, this would have a repercussion in bringing a, stand, a, a level up. So the Midrash says she merited because of this good deed, she merited to have Ruach HaKodesh. What's the connection between her having Ruach HaKodesh and telling her husband to, to honor the Mishkan with light? Psh, what is the Mishkan? We're going to need to know this because coming up with our own, we have to understand what is the Mishkan. Rav Nosen goes very deep into the idea of the Beit HaMikdash and the Mishkan. The Beit HaMikdash and the Mishkan is a physical place in this world where you could perceive the infinite light. 
two opposites. Okay, we said in the beginning of this lesson, lesson 24, remember? That the infinite light is something which is impossible to perceive in this world. It has to be perceived in a specific way, which is called mate vela mate. Reaching and not reaching. The Mishkan, the Beit HaMikdash, was something just like that. It was able to be on one hand a physical building, and yet a spiritual experience where a person connects to God at the highest levels, having an exposure to infinite light, and yet still being physical. Okay? She knew that if light... First of all, why was there a lack of light in the Mishkan? It's very simple. There was a lack of light in the Mishkan because the people were blemished, because they become a breed in that generation. So people took lightheartedly the purpose of the Mishkan. Automatically the Mishkan loses its role, its purpose. The goal of the Mishkan is to enlighten people to orient self. But if people now are sad, and this become a breed, so these type of people are not interested, right? It's like the world is running, everyone's running and running and running to make money, to do things. But how many people stop and go to a learn in a basement church? How many people go to shul and spend time in shul? How many people go to the forest to do what they do? <laughs> how many people take time from this world to connect to Hashem? It's very little. And even those who do, it's like, okay, 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 you have to do it. It's like secondary. It's, it's, it's second class. First class is my making money, my parnasa, my running after this world. This is first, first class. Second class is the ruchaniyot, okay? So the, the Mishkan and Dvoran at its time was dimmed. The light was dimmed. She told her husband, bring in lights, a physical light, even though it's a physical light, because you bring it to the Mishkan, and the Mishkan is a spiritual light, it's the Orient Sof, it'll bring that light to shine. She was so rewarded that this salvation came about to her and her husband went up a level. He became from Lapidot to Barak. Why was he called Barak? They say, why was he called Lapidot? Because he made the wicks. Why was he called Barak? Because his face shone. It's like the next stage. Okay? And he was called also Michael. Why is he called Michael? Because unlike a normal man, he made himself very subordinate. Mach. He made himself belittled to his wife, secondary to his wife. Mach. Michael is Mach, which means like a low. He made himself lower to his wife. That's why he was called Michael. Even though it's the name of an angel, but in this case, he was called Michael because he was secondary to his wife. In the end, he's a tzaddik. The proof is he's a kever of a tzaddik. You know, we have up north the kever of Dvor Neviyah and also Barak next to the, the tzaddikim. We go, we go to Davon by the farm. He became a tzaddik, but he started off on a low level, went up because of his wife. And the Midrash, by the way, Tana goes on and saying this is the exact opposite of Achav and his wife, Isabel. Isabel was such a bad wife, she threw her husband Achav into Avodazara to the lowest level until he lost, like we said, remember one class, we said he lost everything. Achav lost everything. He's one of the kings that don't have a portion in the world to come, Achav, and he left behind no offspring. He had 70 sons. Achav had from different wives, 70 sons, they were all killed. All of his sons were killed. He was killed. Nothing was left of him. No grandchildren. Nothing. Nada. Zero. Nothing was left of him. And that was due to the, the negative effect and influence of his wife. Okay? So now going back. Rabbeinu brings this pasuk here. You know, the, the, it says, this pasuk is the final verse in this chapter. It, the verse comes right after it says that they killed Sisera. Okay? And then it says, And then the hand of the Jews went stronger until they subdued also Yavin. They, until they subdued Yavin, until they killed them also. Okay? Rabbeinu, Rabbi Nachman, you are bringing a pasuk to show us the connection between hands and feet as a positive activity. That the hands is bracha. And this pasuk is talking about what? Haloch kasha. Subduing the enemies. What's going on here? In other words, you brought a pasuk. I understand the proof, but the whole context of the pasuk doesn't fit into what we're talking about here. We're trying to say that Yadain bring bracha. And here you bring a pasuk of the opposite. And that, that the hands here subdue the enemies. This itself is an amazing concept. When you activate bracha, something good, the bad falls by itself. This is a big rule in life. Once somebody came to Rabbeinu, it's in Sichot Haran, you can see this in Rabbi Nachman's wisdom, Sichot Haran. The man was telling Rabbi Nachman, Rabbeinu, that he tries to serve Hashem, 
but he's done so many bad things and he's still a bad person and he can't lift himself up. It's so hard. So Rabbeinu told him, you just be involved in doing good and the bad will fall by itself. And he says, this is hinted to in the Pasuk, Sur Va'asetov. Turn away from evil and do good. But in this case, we read the Seifa, the end of the Pasuk, as the beginning point. In other words, Va'asetov, Rabbeinu told the Chasir, do good, and by doing good, Sumerah, you will automatically fall from evil. The bad will fall, Sumerah, you will fall from the evil. And, and also evil itself will fall. This is the message he's telling here also. That when the hand of Bnei Israel is going, when I'm able to elevate the legs, halicha, to the levels of Yadayim, which is the source of bracha. When, so this causes haloch kasha that now the hands also subdue automatically the evil. Like, with the, like we mentioned with Korach, that the Ktoret, is able to lift up the good to the simcha and also subdue the evil. That's a big rule in life. When you feel negative about yourself, and it happens a lot, your key is to do good now. <laughs> what do I do now? What do I do? Look what happened now. The key is to do good. Because the doing good is what will bring down the evil. A person, most people say, ah, what value is your Torah study? What value is your davening? You're still a uh, shegetz. You're still chasesham, uh, no uh, low life. You're still a machti and chote machti tarabim. You're still a ich. You know where the person begins to think, where is my Torah and mitzvot and good deeds getting me? Look, I'm in my tzedaka. I'm getting. I'm worse off than before. He says, no, that's an illusion. That's an illusion. You continue doing good, and the, eventually the bad will fall down. This is the key. Most people crash at this point. Most people, when they have such a major down, they say, why should I do more good? Why, why should I do good? It's, uh, you know, I'm not getting it. It's just, it's just futile. It's just useless. And this is the test. You keep on doing the good, the bad, well, you're almost there. The reason why the bad is so bad and getting even worse is like what Rabbeinu says elsewhere in Sikhot Aram. It's like when two people fight and the evil sees that he's about to fall, so the evil gives his last punch the greatest punch, and this is how he brings him down. We'll continue. I see there's a, we didn't finish. I wanted to get to Aaron. We didn't get into Aaron. Bezat Hashem will continue hopefully next week. Yeshokoach. Yeshokoach, everybody. Bezat Hashem. Recording stopped.